Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Good morning, everyone. Um, I need prayer because I'm scared. Um, <coughs> this topic that we'll preach, because obviously we're going through the vision and values, I need to get it right. Um, and this topic in particular is quite, it's a bit of a turnaround for us. You know, I think today could be a really good day for us if we get this right. Uh, we, we, I think we could experience something really supernatural if we're prepared to go for it. And if you're, are you up for that? Yes. Good, that's, that's going to make things easier. Um, I'll start with the, with the value. Uh, a church whose people are baptised in water and the Holy Spirit and brought into a genuine life in the spirit. <clears throat> so as part of the vision series uh, that the church has undertaken, uh, I've been asked to look at <coughs> baptism, uh, uh, in, look, look, yeah, look at baptisms, basically. Um, I'm going to start with baptism in water. Excuse me. Uh, and the best way to start this, I feel, is to uh, refer to the baptism of Jesus uh, by John. Uh, Matthew 3.13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfil all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now, I think this passage speaks for itself as to the importance of baptism. Um, As part of my research into baptism in water, Owen passed me an article uh, explaining... uh, uh, Four points. I'm going to quickly run through these points because at the basic level the writer's correcting what he's saying. Um, I'll explain them in a little more detail, then I'm going to move on to some stuff that's neither here nor there, and then I'm going to move on to some stuff that really is here and there. So the first point is that baptism is for believers. And baptism for an unbeliever is like going to a football match if you don't like football. I don't like football, therefore I would not go to a football match. Which is actually a bad example, because a couple of weeks ago I went to see the Gateway Lads playing football and actually quite enjoyed it. Um, but I'm going to carry on with the analogy all the same. If I went to a football match, I probably wouldn't enjoy it. I'd watch other spectators uh, jump up and shout and cheer and scream, but my lack of self-confidence would probably force me to join in, because I don't want to be the only one sitting down not doing anything. <clears throat> of course, I wouldn't know what I was doing or why I was doing it. Um, my heart wouldn't be in it. Because A, my knowledge of football isn't that great, and B, even if it was, it, it just wouldn't interest me. There'd be another agenda on my heart or in my mind if I went to a football match. Likewise, if an unbeliever goes to be baptised, it'll mean little to themselves. Because the heart isn't in it, and the understanding behind it all isn't there. And if it is, it clearly doesn't interest them. But there's another agenda, like joining in with friends, or peer pressure, or general pressure. It may be the one for uh, attention, the feeling of security in a world of doubt. Baptism is for believers. They need to first believe in God for themselves and acknowledge Jesus' sacrifice for them with understanding and faith before being immersed in water. If not, the importance is lost on them and, and the act is meaningless, unless coupled with a conversion later on in life, but that's not, uh, that's not something we're going to cover at the moment. The second point demonstrates our new life in Christ. It speaks of how we are no longer living our own lives. We're no longer just human beings living in a world 
of sin and destruction. You know, by being baptised, we're casting off the old self, the sinful self, the self of this world, and rising up as a child of God. We are in Christ. We are dead to our sinful life that we had before immersion and come up as the image of Christ. It's basically like having a shower and never needing a shower again, ever. For those of us baptised now, we are in Christ. Our lives belong to him. They're not ours to manipulate for our own wants, but they are Christ's to love. The third point says that it requires a lot of water. This point is more about the symbolism. You know, water is life. Without water, we're not going to last very long. Christ is life. Without, without Christ, we're not going to last very long. The main crux of baptism in water is your choice, your motivation, your agenda. If you truly believe in God and honestly have faith in Jesus and his works in your life, you won't care if you're baptised in the Indian Ocean or the sink at the Toby Carvery or, or at two in the afternoon or three in the morning, you know. In reference to the eunuch in Acts 8.36, it says, As they travelled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptised him. Not unlike the baptism of the Spirit, which we're going to cover shortly, the decision to be baptised in water, or the realisation of its meaning, can hit someone like a brick. The necessity of the action becomes priority. It certainly was for me, anyway. The water's representative of your washing of uncleanliness and your choice to move into a life of Christ. 1 Peter 3.21 says, And this water symbolises baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who's gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. <coughs> The fourth point is that it emphasises our new obedience in Christ. It's another important part of baptism. It's submitting yourself to a living God that most people can't see and, and therefore don't believe in. You know, it's, it's, it's really difficult for some of us to be under the authority of another person at the best of times. But to be under someone's authority for the rest of time is a big commitment, particularly someone that not everyone else can, can see or understand. To be baptised is to serve under a new master. God is in control of your life. Your baptism is a sign that, you're, that you acknowledge that and, and that you'll honour him as best as you can. If you're, uh, you're baptised with a faithful heart, God will be pleased that you've chosen to make that commitment. And you'll be pleased that you made the choice. I was uh, baptised shortly after my mum died. It was on the, the 10th of December 2006. I was baptised alongside my housemates, Emma and Craig, uh, my future housemate and best man, Eddie, and, and, and a couple of randomers, who I can't remember the names of. Um, and we all chose to be baptised, and that's something that I want to make clear this morning. Baptism, in any form, is an act of choice. We choose to be baptised, we choose to be immersed in the waters of swimming pools, or, or fountains, or seas, or whatever. But being baptised is a big step, it's a huge step, as most of you know. It's like a roller coaster. you stand at the, at the entrance of the queue and you watch it and, it, and it's going fast up and down and, and backwards and upside down, barrel rolls, corkscrew, loop the loop. And you're a wee bit scared. Well, I would be. So why get on it? Because you'll most probably enjoy every minute of it. I'm going to tell you a story. I went to Wales a few years ago uh, on a hot summer with Abby, Craig and Emma. And we stayed at Three Cliffs Bay. I don't know if any of you have been to Three Cliffs. No, if you haven't, it's well worth going to. Um, one day Emma had a rest, because uh, she was doing all the driving, so Craig, Abby, myself, and Craig's cousin Matthew, who lived in Wales anyway, went on for a walk at, uh, at a, a waterfall walk. I think, I think it was called the waterfall walk, wasn't it? 
Uh, we walked along all these paths and down these streams, and we saw all these beautiful pools. You just wanted to dive in because they looked so appealing in the heat. It was beautiful with the rays of light coming in through the, through the trees and the dense woods. Anyway, we came to a spot, like a ledge. I'm going to have to listen. Came to a spot. There's a ledge. Okay, so we're on this ledge. To the left, huge expanse of water, knee deep. Massive expanse of it. In front of us, it goes down this waterfall. Five metres down, drop, like that. And out here, uh, not as big, but about 15, 20 feet deep. This huge pool. And uh, it was here that Craig said, let's go for a swim. And... I was like, yeah, okay, that's fine, I've got a problem with that. So me, Craig and Matt stripped into our swim shorts while Abby doubled back and went down the hill to the other end of this deep pool. Um, yeah, she went, down, she went down there to paddle. And Craig looked over the ledge that we were on, five minutes down, and he saw that there was another ledge down the bottom. So he climbed down onto this other ledge further down, and we followed him. And we watched in horror as Craig slipped into the water from this metre-high distance. And we saw him groan and, and go, <laughs> It's cold! Across the pool I heard a scream. Abby in a swimming costume paddling around like that. Oh, it's cold! I'm going to let you try and imagine that for a while. Matt and I looked at each other knowing full well that if common sense prevailed we'd stay dry. But we really wanted to do it. I watched as Matt fly out the idea of sliding into the pool, then he leapt off the rock we were on, crashed into the water, came out spluttering and streaming in, in Welsh. I, I don't, don't know quite what he said. It seemed really, really cold. Now, of course, I'm alone on this rock. I can't climb back for fear of falling off and hurting myself quite badly. So the only way was through the water. And even my future wife had paddled in it, so it can't have been that bad. So I waited till Matt scrambled wildly out of the water, watched as Craig sculled across the surface, now embracing the lack of heat, because he's a weirdo. He would wear sandals in the snow. Um, and I jumped. And it really was cold. It hurt so much that, that, that my teeth... Have you ever had that feeling where it's so cold your teeth really hurt? I couldn't put my face in the water, it just hurt. So I've done it, and I've leapt headfirst into the unknown. Anyone would say that you were mad to do it again, except that now Craig is standing on the top ledge, the five-metre ledge, saying, let's do it. So there we were. Abby's now on the far side. She's fully closed. She's got the camera. And we watch as Craig stands on the edge of the ledge. And nothing happens. We assume he's praying. And <laughs> then he goes. Um, he lands. He comes up. And he's okay. So it's Matt's turn. And I just turn away to consider the options. I turn back. And he's on the edge. I'm watching from behind. Craig's watching from below. Abby's watching from afar. And he leaps off. And again, scream something in Welsh. <laughs> so, now there's me. And I don't mind heights. I'm, not, I'm just not keen on jumping from them. I don't mind water. I'm just not keen on the one with a thin layer of ice on the top. I, I hear Abby shouting something in the distance. It's something like, do it or don't do it. And I'm not entirely certain which one it is. Craig and Matt are all smiles, still paddling in the water. And they're shouting and laughing. And I'm on the edge and I'm trembling. I could choose to turn back. But I don't. I actually really want to do this. I lean forward and I lean back and I breathe deeply and I lean forward and it's not going to happen. And then I lean forward and I lean back. Five metres of pure gravity beneath me and nothing but cold water to break my fall. I take a deep breath, close my eyes, now I'm ready for it. I let myself go, brace myself for the hard ride to come. And here I am telling you that I did it. 
I wanted to do it the whole time. Even now I'd say I wanted to do it. But the actual act of doing it is less attractive. And why have I told you the story? Because choosing God is diving into the unknown. Baptism is going one step further. You know, I knew what was coming the second time. And I had to do it from a greater height. Likewise, when I was baptised, I knew what I was getting into. But I was in it for the long haul. And any obstructions were going to hurt more. But I think we all know about what we chose to do when we got baptised. What we committed ourselves to. And those of us who aren't baptised, I think we're aware of what it is that inspires such a commitment. But for those of us who've been dunked, that was then. What happened since? You know, I reckon there are some of you here today, not all, but some, who have looked back on the day that you were baptised and thought that there were times when you let the team down, when you let God down. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that might be what you're thinking, Joel. That's not what I'm thinking. But I'm talking about those times when you didn't pray and felt guilty for not having done so. Where you shouted at someone when a quiet word would have sufficed. When you spoke ill of someone behind their backs. You know, I'm talking about the things that, you know, when, when you look back at your baptism, they make you feel disgusted with yourself. I mean, I hope it's not me. But you see, I understand that by being baptised, I'm showing my commitment and love for God. But if I turn around from that and do something that contrasts with what my baptism stands for, I begin to feel that the act of my baptism is rendered insignificant. You know, it becomes obsolete, becomes an act of dunking that means nothing. But, I know it doesn't work like that. And thank the Lord that it doesn't, because we'd all be in trouble. God lavished grace on us and allowed us the chance to look back on our baptism and say, yeah, I made a choice out of the love uh, for God that I had in my heart. And yeah, I've messed up, but I can look back on my baptism and not look at it as a marker to stay above, but as the cloth that wipes me clean. I'm going to tell you another story. As a boy, I, I used to go fishing. Yeah, we lived in Rosenton, in a little farmhouse cottage with fields surrounding the north side. And beyond those fields was a, a little pond. And when I was old enough uh, to understand that fishing wasn't just a case of sticking a stick in the water and, hey, presto, a fish was there, um, Dad would take me down to this pond, otherwise known as the Bricky. And we'd go fishing. And I was spurred on by the incredible fishing skills of my younger cousin, who, uh, around 11 years old, caught his first pike, and he was putting a magazine for it. I thought I'd be ace at this, so I got myself a new whip for Christmas, my dad had uh, got a whole load of rods, I got, my uncle had given me a new reel, uh, dad had the basic fishing equipment. And I went into this new sport of sorts, uh, with vigour. At about 10 or 11 years old, I was too young to set it all up, so dad did it all for me. Uh, and when it was all ready, I sat down and I waited. I waited, and I waited. Fifteen minutes passed and nothing's happened. I can't talk because I might scare the fish. I can't move because I might scare the fish. I can't look down because the maggots are looking up at me and making funny faces. Nothing's happening and I'm dead bored. Dad, I'm hungry. Shut up. Scare the fish. Dad, can we go home now? No, sir. Scare the fish. Nothing. And then Dad catches the fish, and I'm excited, and he reels it in, and it's a decent size, it's flapping about wildly, my Dad puts it in the cheek net, and it's all quiet, and I realise that I actually didn't do that. That was my Dad doing it. And I started sulking, and it starts raining, and I'm not best pleased. I complain, and Dad isn't best pleased at me complaining. He angrily packs up, and we, we go home. I caught no fish. At the course of the following week, I want to go again. I think to myself, it's not that hard, I'll go and I'll try it and I'll be patient. I'll keep watching the float and make sure that if it wobbles, I'll get it. 
first time I ever caught a fish, I was so excited that I yanked the whip up so hard the fish flew out of the water. And my dad told me off and it took the shine off the victory a bit. And that was about the third or fourth time I went. Every single time we went fishing, I always did something wrong. And get ready for the list. On a number of occasions, I got the line stuck in the tree as I was casting off. I've before now dropped the shots in the water. I've lost the line to one of the fish along with the hook to float the shots. I've dropped a tub full of maggots in the water. I've broken the fishing box. I've tangled up the line too many times to count. I've jammed the reel. I've dropped the line, uh, no, dropped the reel in the water, sorry. I've snapped the rod. I've got a hook stuck in my hand. I've got a hook stuck in the tree or something on the bottom there. I've Other people have seen the fish bite my bait more than I have. I've only been 12 times. How can a guy get it so wrong? And each and every single time I had my dad on standby or my cousin Craig on a couple of occasions to help me out. But I went in with sure-fired confidence that I would do well and oftentimes I never did. And that was how I felt after my baptism. I was all fired up for God, the passion was there, the love was there. It was such an important step and I was ready to do it. I went in and I did it and I was glad I did it. I felt a new man afterwards. So good in fact I managed to beat every single person in the pool at a 50 metre freestyle swim. But as time moved on the fire began to fade, the passion receded. Sometimes it would come back and other times it would be completely extinguished. And I felt really rotten about it. But that is why baptism is such a huge factor in this church. Baptism is not a marker. It's not the point where you say, I'm at my most loving, I'm at my most committed, I'm at my most passionate, and so now is the time to, to, to show my devotion to God through baptism, and then expect to maintain that attitude for the rest of your life. Baptism's not like that. And I know that some of you probably haven't ever seen it like that, but I reckon that some of you do, and I reckon that all of you at times have, have felt worthless and self-loathing, and, and you feel that you're just not hitting the mark. Baptism in water is important because it's is the act of publicly announcing your faith in God and your love for Jesus, your acceptance of the sacrifice of the Son and your decision to be a child of God for the rest of your life. To look back on a baptism is, is to watch yourself becoming clean. To remind yourself of that time is not to say, that's how I was, I wish I could be like that now. Because you are like that now. That's why baptism is so important. Aside from it being a public declaration, it's also a reminder for you that grace is upon you. That you made a choice to be washed in God's grace, made clean in the sight by the crucifixion of Christ. You knew it, you made the choice, that's how it was then. What's changed now? Circumstances and your attitude towards them. I was baptised at a time when I was financially secure, I had time on my hands, I was with people I loved and respected, on a course I enjoyed in town that was scenically beautiful, that I could appreciate every day while I was cycling to and from the campus. I made the decision to get baptised because I understood the beauty of life and the magnitude of God. I was grateful for what he'd given me and I understood, even though my mum had died that year, I understood what I meant to, to God because there was nothing to get in the way of my love for him. Now I'm unemployed, financially we're only just getting by, the friends I had had gone, though I'm not going to lie, I've got some cracking new friends here. The university course that I was on is gone. Doncaster can hardly be described as scenically beautiful. <laughs> and the time that I had, I, I, I used to be able to spend freely. I, I, I now feel I have to spend doing something constructive. You know, time's not mine anymore. And I feel that my life is ebbing on and the future isn't panning out the way I wanted it. My circumstances have changed. And my attitude towards them is becoming more humanly centred, more selfish. If I look back at my baptism and said to myself... 
Life was simple because life was God. Might it change how I feel about life now? Well, yeah, but saying it isn't running it. Life was simple because life was God. Life is simple because life is God. And follow it through and be committed. Nothing's changed since you were baptised. You, know, you, you just had some more experiences of life. But don't feel bad if those experiences have brought you down. Because you know, if you can't jog five miles, jog one. Build yourself up. It isn't all going to come at once. Just because you drop the reel in the water doesn't mean you won't learn from it to catch a fish. And this is where the application of my preach comes in at long last. And I know you were waiting for it. <laughs> But before I start with the application, I just want to share a word that Bob Roberts gave at the prayer and fasting. He said, to phrase it as though he was directing it at me, that people were not created to listen to me talking. To listen to me preaching. I mean, how, how true is that? If all we ever did was sit down and listen to people, nothing would ever get done. Similarly, if we choose to take a proactive approach towards applying preachers to our lives and then, then God will step in there shouldn't be a single preacher spoken that you cannot actively use in your lives anyway that's something I just felt that, that touched me over those two days that you know it, it, it just seems so obvious that you don't just sit and listen you learn from it He also touched me when he, he talked about how he shot a camel with a rocket launcher in Afghanistan. But that's a different thing entirely. Your Christian life didn't pause on a high note when you were baptised in, in, uh, in water. It's like starting an obstacle course, getting up and over the netting, and then stopping just short of the tunnels and swing ropes. Assuming you've finished the course, but there's so much more. Baptism in the Holy Spirit. Our church is God-centred, Bible-based, Spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. That means filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 8, 14-17 says, When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might, they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised in the name of the, Holy, the, the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I bring this to you to, to show the distinct difference between baptism in water and baptism in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. It shows that there's more than just getting wet. We may have made the choice in our hearts and minds to follow God. We may have come up from the water spluttering our love for God. But in order to continue in that vein, we have to continually seek the Holy Spirit. To be with God is to become more familiar with the Holy Spirit. It's through the Spirit that we can have that personal relationship with God. It's through the Spirit that we can feel righteous and positive about ourselves. Because let's be honest, how we feel really determines whether or not we can be bothered to come to church. Whether we can be bothered to praise God or just sing songs and not really understand the meaning behind them. In Acts 2, it states that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, there came, a sound, uh, there came from heaven sorry, a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the, as the Spirit gave them utterance. You all know the story here. I mean, it's, uh, it's the most famous example of the Holy Spirit coming, coming to people. It proves beyond a doubt that the Holy Spirit is an active force in our lives. Remember that. You know, your Christian life didn't just hit the top mark when you were baptised. It opened up the rest of the way. 
It should have made you realise that, accepting though you are and accepting though you may be, you have an awfully long way to go. It wasn't just you saying, I believe, and then sitting in the corner doing the knitting. God isn't just someone who created the universe. Jesus isn't just someone who died on the cross. The Holy Spirit isn't just an essence that shows up once in a blue moon. All of them are working with us, working in our lives, and it's through the Holy Spirit that we can obtain that understanding. To be baptised in the Holy Spirit is to be disciplined and patient, expectant. It's an act that can happen anywhere at any time. To be baptised in the Holy Spirit is to have that true, and in some cases tangible, realisation of the existence of God. And the feelings he has for you. It is, among other things, to have access, full access, to spiritual gifts. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now obviously there are more gifts than tongues. But I, you know, I'll, I'll refer to 1 Corinthians 12 for that. Because I've got to press on. Um, we should be seeking all the time for the Spirit. At home, at, church, at work, at church, small group, or wherever. Where, wherever. Uh, ah, wherever. There we go. We should be asking the Spirit to make himself known to us all the time. We should, we should because if we do... One day the Spirit's going to hit us like, like he did the disciples. And we're going to love every minute of it. By the way, don't be afraid to personify the Holy Spirit. Because I know for years I thought the Holy Spirit was just a, a vapour on the wind. Um, it took a long time for me to come to terms with the fact that the Holy Spirit is actually referred to as a being as opposed to some invisible force. Um, I thought I'd throw that in there. Free. Don't believe that if a hurricane hasn't entered your bedroom that your hair hasn't caught fire, and that you're not speaking another language, that you haven't experienced the Holy Spirit. You know, the Spirit doesn't necessarily appear in physical form. Personally, I find, for me, He appears in the form of realisation, of understanding. In essence, where once we couldn't do it, now with the Holy Spirit we can. At prayer and fast, I felt during prayer that something was in the room, but I, I, I could feel nothing in myself. I asked Owen about it the following day, and he said, uh, were you tired? I said, yeah. He said, did, you feel, did your body feel heavy? I said, yeah. He said, and the feeling around you, was it like, like a weight on your shoulders? I said, yeah. He said, that was the Holy Spirit. What do you call it, the treacle effect? Something like that. I may have encountered the Holy Spirit more times than I'm even aware of. But I'm down with that. Because at least he's there. Even when I'm, I'm in one of my selfish and independent moves, when I, when I feel I don't need him. It's just another example of the form that the Holy Spirit takes. But like another guy at prayer and fasting said, his name's lost on me. He said, do we know what we're asking for when we pray for God to breathe his Holy Spirit on us? He went on to explain that, that God breathed on Adam to form him. Breathed on the bones that Elijah found in the desert. You know, we're dealing with a force like no other. I mean, don't you want a supernatural encounter? Good. Perseverance, a continual perseverance in prayer is how we're going to encounter God through the Spirit. To finish the story that I started earlier, there was, uh, there was one day, Sunday afternoon, uh, Dad and I found a lovely spot at the Bricky Pond. It was open and everything, no trees, no lines to get tangled up in, no slats in the peg to drop things down. It was out of the way so no one could see us. Dad and I started to fish, and so far everything's going really well. Suddenly, Dad's called out to work. He works at DRI. So he's called out. He's going to be gone for an hour. And I'm about 15, 16, and I start to panic. What do I do if you get a bite? Just reel it in. What do I do if I get a bite? Just reel it in. Do what I showed you, you'll be fine. And off he goes, and I'm all alone in a little fishing chair, watching two floats that are miles apart from each other. <laughs> Twenty minutes go by, and Dad's float vanishes. 
on my part. Can I hold this fish on the line for 40 minutes until Dad gets back? I don't think so. I'm going to have to bite the bullet. I'm going to have to reel this thing in. So I start it. I start reeling it in, and there it is. And it's, it's a little perch, as I remember. Um, not huge, but certainly not small. And it's on the end of my line, and I get the net out, and I, I pull him over, and, and, and he's, he's there, and he's all right. You know, he's not dead yet. Um, he's okay. And I, I, I get a cloth, and he's all slimy, and I don't like it, but I'm a big boy now, so I'll be all right. And he, he, I look in his mouth, and the hook's all the way down the back of his throat. And I oh, yes, stupid fish. And I grab the hook extractor, and I... And I have to put it back in the water several times because otherwise the thing's going to die. And then I pick it up and finally I get the hook out and I've caught my own fish on my own. I marvel at this fish. And then I put it in the keep net quick before it dies. Um, not a thing has gone wrong today. My dad has left me on my own. And in that time I managed to catch my very own fish, even though it was on dad's line. I, I, I can't get over it. I set the line up again, and I cast down, and I watch the float bob up and down, and I think, yeah, yeah I'm good at this, and then I look for the other float, and it's gone. <laughs> I pick up the line, and I Way! I've got another fish. That's incredible. And I pull it in, and I really, and I get a hook, and I've done it. Two fish on my own. And Dad comes back, and he, he's well pleased with me. Where once I couldn't fish, now I can. And I did it because Dad watched me every step of the way. He helped me when I needed it. He watched me when I worked. If it weren't for Dad, I would never have caught those fish. Similarly, if I'd not made the effort to join him on those rainy days, those cold days, those baking hot days, to go fishing and learn more, I would never have caught those fish. To run it parallel with baptism in the Spirit, it's a question of being open to learning and being open to experiences. If you don't pray for the Spirit to come, he ain't going to come. If you, don't make the effort to, if you don't make the effort to see him, or to seek him, nothing's going to happen. God is your Father. The Holy Spirit is his light. His light shines to make the dark bright. So we can see what it is that we're supposed to do, to understand. The Holy Spirit is a guide to God's heart. Yeah, we're all going to mess up, no doubt about that. But while ever the Holy Spirit is within us, and while ever we seek the Spirit to become closer to God, we will always shine. Remember, it's mentioned several times in the Bible that he that will be baptised in the Spirit. It says in Matthew 3.11, I baptise you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals are not worthy to carry, he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John 1.33, I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptise with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptises with the Holy Spirit. Like us, the disciples had been promised baptism in the Spirit. They prayed regularly for it, they sought it often, and then it came. But more important than this, you'll notice it, is that when they were baptised in the Spirit, they hadn't finished their obstacle course. They continued on afterwards, seeking the Spirit, being changed men. They persevered. Acts 4.31 says, And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued speak the word of God with boldness. It states plainly that they continued to speak the word of God. Not even in being baptised with the Holy Spirit is their race finished. They went to other towns and cities and prayed with other people that they might be baptised in the Holy Spirit. As I showed in Samaria in Acts 8. They sought him everywhere they went, not just for themselves but for others. And that is what our church strives to do. Our church that is God-centred, Bible-based, Spirit-filled. We need to persevere in our seeking of the Holy Spirit. Last story. Right at my baptism, 
my housemates were accommodating family and friends. And one of them was Robert, who is the grandfather of my housemate Craig. Now Robert's a very quiet man, largely due to the fact that his wife is a very chatty woman. But Robert took the three of us, Craig, Emma and myself, he took us all to one side and he said, now listen, this was a big step and we are all very proud of you for doing it. But remember that it isn't plain sailing. It ain't going to be easy. Now that you've made this commitment, you're going to come under a lot of pressure. Now that you're baptised, the devil is going to be on your back and he's going to come at you with a vengeance. But remember, you have made this commitment to God, you've done this because you love God, and because of that, the devil has no hold. Now those weren't his exact words, but the gist was, you've chosen your side, expecting the enemy to make you feel bad about it. And I didn't believe him, I, I could understand how it might happen, but I was on top of the world. I was going to be a new man. This baptism will bring me closer to God and I'll learn more about him and understand him and may even be able to hear him. Well, what we have to bear in mind is that Robert is right. The devil will make life difficult. But conversely, in reference to something that Roger said on uh, Thursday night, he will send you blessings. Not the devil. I'll make that clear. God will bestow blessings. Blessing after blessing. We need to remember that because sure enough after my baptism in water, like my fishing and like Robert said, life didn't come as easy as I'd hoped. And the same happened to all of those of you who've been baptised, I'm sure of it. You made the commitment, thinking you could do anything and everything for God, but there have been times when you just could not do it. Oh yeah, you've had times when, when God's been uh, watching over you and you're grateful and often in awe of, of what he's done. But there have been times when you've struggled and you just sidestepped. Since my baptism, I have gone weeks, months without praying, without picking up a Bible. I've dug myself holes that I just could not get out of. And I look back, I, I would, I'd look back on the day of my baptism and I'd say, God, I'm, I'm, uh, when I said, sorry, God, I'm yours and you're mine. And I'd look at myself now and i think, you've ignored God. Why would he want you? And it's because of thoughts and emotions like these, and just generally seeking the Spirit anyway, that we need to continually look for the Holy Spirit. You know, I've already made the point that choice is a word I like to use. You can choose to be baptised. You can choose to follow God. And I urge you to, this morning, and every morning, every day from now, make the choice to actively seek the Holy Spirit. Persevere in your want to know more and, and love God more. You know, make the choice to turn away from the things in your life that are bothering you. The things in your life that hurt or bring you down. Make the choice to experience God in seeking the Holy Spirit. I mean, have you had a personal experience with the Holy Spirit? If not, then let's pray for his presence. And if so, let's seek him again. Let's seek out the Spirit daily, as individuals and as a church, because the obstacle course isn't finished yet. And as the song, uh, the God of this city says, greater things have yet to come, and greater things are still to be done. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 